It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Wolverine Confidential Podcast. I am Andrew Kahn. I'm Ryan Zook. And I'm Aaron McMahon. Michigan did it. The Wolverines exercised their Ohio State demons and beat the Buckeyes on Saturday at Michigan Stadium, clinching a spot in the Big Ten Championship in the process. We break down what happened during and after the game right here on Wolverine Confidential. All right, guys. Well, Michigan, as I just said, they they did it. I mean, it just you weren't really going to believe it until it happened. And I think that factored in to our predictions to a certain extent. I always tell the listeners, listen to what we say, not what we then predict, because we talked about the way that they could win this game, what they needed to do. The blueprint, I think, as Aaron you know, called it, and you know, Michigan followed it. And the most surprising thing to me was not, not that Michigan won. It was that Michigan kind of dominated this game. Like, not maybe in total yardage or whatever, but... Geez, they outplayed I mean, them, for sure. They outplayed them. Like, and in the trenches, they dominated and took, you know, a one-point lead in the second half and then ran away with this game, always keeping Ohio State at bay. They lost time of possession by three minutes. They had one turnover. Ohio State had nothing. Those were two areas I thought they absolutely had to win. To win, And for most of the game, they were winning time of possession. But yeah, this was no controversial ending. This was no close call at the end, blown call by the officials. Michigan outplayed Ohio State top to bottom, both sides of the field. They were the better team on Saturday. It was simple as that. And I would be hard-pressed to find someone who thought that was going to happen. I mean, I, I think most Michigan fans are bracing for what could have been. It just it's it's amazing to see where this Michigan football team is compared to where we thought they were at the beginning of the year and where we thought they were going to end up. Because this whole season has been it's been one surprise after another. And I think that's probably is what probably what made it even better than the one on Saturday. I'm gonna say this. If Michigan wins next week and Aiden Hutchinson has another big game. He should win the Heisman Trophy. He has been that good this year. Without him, Michigan is not even anywhere near at this level. They're not playing for the Big Ten Championship. What he was able to do against the the best offense in the country, against some projected first round pick offensive linemen last this week, it was just insane. Like I mean, he had 15 recorded pressures by Pro Football Focus. 15. That's insane. Like I mean, that, that's the most they've ever had since they started recording that stat in 2014. And I mean, to go out is in your final game at Michigan Stadium and deliver that type of performance was C.J. Stroud has not faced that pressure at all this season, you could tell he wasn't as comfortable as he had looked in in other games this year. And yeah, three sacks for Aiden, new single season record at Michigan, uh, 13 sacks overall. I mean, just uh, an incredible performance from him. 
he's been unblockable all season long. We've seen it week after week after week where opponents do like all this stuff, hold and double team and send help. And some teams decided not to block Aiden Hutchinson and he still has big games. So it's like, we can get into more in a minute, but like he deserves a lot of credit. The Michigan defense, there's a lot of credit, but I'll tell you who should get a lot of credit. Mike McDonald, the defensive coaching staff. I, I think they did wonders on Saturday. You know, Ryan, you, you can say that and I'm with you. He should be in the Seisman discussion. Do you think there's any chance he actually wins it? Because I don't. I mean, it's just so you can get him to New York. We've seen, yeah. you know, Manti Teo from Notre Dame. You know, he had a fabricated story that helped lift him to that stage, I think. But I just it's so it's so hard to look back, look past the raw stats of a quarterback, even if there's no one guy that really stands out. It's just so tough for a for a defensive end to get in that. Bryce Young leading that that late touchdown drive to tie the game in Auburn, and then then throwing a couple TD passes in in overtime definitely did not help uh, <laughs> Hutchinson stock. Because I mean, if Alabama gets held to three points against Auburn, I mean, and then what Michigan was able to do against CJ Stroud, I mean, yeah, he did throw for, for 394 yards, but then then I would think he had, had a realistic shot. But yeah, I mean, it, he's a long shot at this point. I think right after the Michigan game, Hutchinson was at like. 10 to one odds. And then after that, that Alabama game, it was back to like 20 to one odds. So yeah, probably a long shot, but yeah, as far as the most dominant player in college football this year, I think it's been Aiden Hutchinson. And yeah, it's hard for a defensive player, but the impact he, he has had, I think should beat out the the quarterbacks. But I look at the Heisman a lot of times as, as a, as an MVP award, you know, and to me, an MVP award doesn't necessarily go to the best player. It goes to the most valuable player. The person has the most impact on their team and, and is a big reason for why they are where they are. And I think that's certainly why Aiden deserves discussion. Uh, I'm in that camp there where I think he deserves discussion. I don't think he's going to win it because at the end of the day, the sport of football is very much still offensive driven. We still care about the quarterbacks and uh, the skill positions and the guys who are putting up a lot of stats and, and numbers and are touching the ball all the time. And unfortunately, that doesn't tend to lend itself toward defensive guys. Now, that being said, if there's a year where someone can come out of the blue and come out of nowhere, not necessarily nowhere, but come out of and become an overnight sensation and and win it. This certainly is the year. There really is. There hasn't been a, you know, runaway favorite all season right. long. I mean, we all thought it was going to be like Spencer Rattler at the end of the year, and look where he's at. I mean, he's still not even playing. So, Aiden has performed well when it has mattered most. The nation was watching Saturday. They saw what happened. They saw him have a big game against Ohio State, and I think they got one more week. He's got one more week to show, prove to Heisman voters that he should be the guy. Now he'll get another big stage Saturday in the Big Ten title game against Iowa to do that. Will it be enough? I don't know, but he certainly is is worthy of discussion. I totally agree with you guys. So let's use his performance to kind of you know reel us back into to what happened Saturday. And I mean, all the talk about how Harbaugh needed an elite quarterback and really hadn't had one during his tenure here to be competitive, kind of maybe overlooked the fact that to really compete with the big boys in the sports, Alabama, you know, Georgia, Ohio State, uh, and others, you need to have dominant play in the trenches. Michigan has that now. I will, I will put their offensive line as a unit and their defensive line as a unit like up against anyone in the countries right now because you saw what it did on Saturday, both sides of the ball against Ohio State. And I mean, I'm not sure they couldn't do the same thing you know, this year against any of the other playoff contenders, Georgia included. So, Ooh, I mean, th- this right. team, you know, up front, on both sides is very impressive and, and no more impressive than, than what they did Saturday. I'm going to pat myself on the back for a minute because I think before the season even started, I, I said this offensive line group could be one of their better, best 
you know, best units in this offense and the reason they're, they end up successful. And it, it certainly has been a big reason for it. You knew coming into the year that they were going to be experienced. I mean, they had a sixth year senior in Andrew Bastardis. They had a fifth year senior in Andrew Stuper. So they had guys who'd been around here for a while, guys that knew what it takes to win big games and in big moments. And you gel that with the talent, you know, Ryan Hayes, Zach Zinter, some of these younger guys who haven't played as much, but they know what to do in the, you know, they, they know how to play and they know what's expected of them. And I think that perfect blend of all that experience and depth and really, you know, lack of injury, like the line has largely been healthy all season long. And that I think was a big, big reason for their struggles last year. You had a lot of guys coming in and out and it's something the players have talked about, you know, you combine all of that with Michigan's simplified game plan, offensively running the football where they're not trying to do too much it's been the perfect recipe. You know, they, they had, you know, two impressive running backs all season long. They have a quarterback who's managed the game well, and it's, it was a perfect storm. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why they are where they are right now. Let's talk about what else impressed us from this game, because, you know, as I kind of said, they followed the blueprint to a certain extent. I mean, lost the turnover battle and lost time of possession, but they did dominate with their running game. And that really was, that really was the difference when all was said and done. Michigan did not play a perfect game. There were mistakes. McNamara had an interception on the second drive. Michigan dropped a potential interception on Ohio State's final drive of the first half. There was a play down the sideline in the early in the fourth quarter that could have been a, a big conversion that 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 wasn't. They just again they ran the ball, you know, so well. And just the frustration on Ohio State's side not being able to get the ball back ever was evident certainly during the game and, and then especially after hearing them hearing them talk about. So, I mean, Michigan stuck to its strength running the ball and, and did so at will on Saturday. When you look back on it, you know, given all the talk this year and, you know, the talk about the beat Ohio nine on seven run drill, it, it's almost like Michigan's coaching staff called their shot. Like they told Ohio State what they were going to do before they even did it. And they did it and, and were successful doing so. I mean, 297 yards rushing, uh, another big game from Hassan Haskins. I mean, five rushing touchdowns. They gave the blueprint to Ohio State. Hey, this is what we're going to do. Try and stop us. And they couldn't do it. It was it was pretty incredible, really. It's kind of funny going back to the beginning of the year when, when we were previewing the season and, and talking about how like Michigan needed to uh, a difference maker to kind of evolve in this offense and, and take that next step. And we said Blake Corum, we, we said Cornelius Johnson, uh, maybe some of the, the sophomore receivers as well. But uh, we didn't really talk much about Hassan Haskins as being that difference maker. Yeah, he would be like that complimentary piece is that hard-nosed running back. But he's showing now he's he's a complete back. And he is, he's been their best player on offense this year. And he hasn't slowed down. I mean, 103 yards after contact on Saturday. Like, I mean, this guy is just a bulldozer going through the line of scrimmage and, and picks up hard yards after hard yards. And yeah, I mean, the teams have not been able to, to stop them. And when Blake Corum goes down, maybe they'll be able to, to kind of hone in on, on Haskins. And that has not been the case whatsoever. You know, I, I, he goes by H2, you know, a standard nickname given his initials. I've, I've wanted to call him H3 for hurdling Hassan Haskins because he had another one on Saturday. Uh, people in my, someone DM'd me, I think, you know, can I, can we coin Hassan Yakskins as in YAC yards after contact? Cause he gets that. He, he definitely needs a, another nickname, but yeah, it's, you know, Aaron, you talked about, you know, Hutchinson and Heisman and an MVP type player. I mean, at the same time, it's almost hard to consider 
to think that Hassan Haskins isn't the MVP of this team, given how well he's done. I mean, it, it's clearly a year where they would just have, have to have co-MVPs, you know, one on each side of the ball, because, I mean, geez, as, as much as Hutchinson is meant to the defense, Haskins is meant to the offense. Yeah, and Jim Harbaugh said that, you know, if we're going to name MVPs, we're probably going to have to do both, because he, you're absolutely right. I mean, Hassan meant, has meant just as much to the offense, really, as Aiden has meant to the defense. Pretty incredible for a guy who just three years ago came to Michigan as a linebacker. I think people forget that sometimes. Like he came in, recruited as a linebacker, intended to play defense, and they they made the decision to move him to the offense, partly because I think Michigan was lacking depth at the time, at least at the running back position. They just wanted another body in there. But I think that move, in hindsight, was the perfect one. He ended up, you know, three years later, Hassan has turned into a pro caliber back. I certainly think he's going to get an opportunity at the next level. I don't know how successful he'll be, but his motor is is pretty incredible. I mean, his legs do not stop as Ryan was mentioning. A lot, yards after contact, he rarely is tackled for negative yards. He's, he's tough to bring down, and when you need a big pickup, whether it's second second down or third down, you need a first down pickup. I mean, the guy, the guy comes through. You want the ball in his hands because he wants the ball in his hands and he, he wants to finish finish that run and get those yards. Guess what he was ranked nationally as a, as a recruit? A low three, high two. Is he was he even top a thousand in the recruiting class? He was top a thousand, but not by much. Yeah, yeah. Nine right. seventy five overall. <laughs> I for some reason I remember him coming in. The name was maybe unique. I don't know, but I, I do remember him. And it, I don't think anyone really could stop there or sit back here and say, "Yeah, I thought he was going to be a star." You know, it's another example of Michigan finding those kind of diamond in the rough players and turning them into game-changing players at the Big Ten level. You know, Ronnie Bell is another perfect example of that. He wasn't maybe as low, but he was another guy that really wasn't, you know, didn't get many opportunities coming to high school, and he got his at Michigan, he's made the most of it. And I'm not not correcting Aaron, just to kind of clarify, I mean, was he listed? He was listed as a running back. Ryan, was that correct when you just looked at him? Because I, I feel like he came in, yeah. but they, they switched him right away. I mean, they so switched him. essentially yeah, yeah. his he first time. Running back. Right, right, exactly. And then before going back, I actually kind of remember hearing from his dad when I wrote something differently to that effect, how they switched him. He's like, well, no, actually he started there, but then they moved him and then they moved him back. Either way, it's been it's been quite the journey. So five touchdowns, his third touchdown uh, when Michigan goes up 28-13 there late in the third quarter, and you really think that this this is going to happen for Michigan. I mean, that whole drive, every one of the plays should have been you know on, on any sort of postgame highlights you had. The one-handed catch by Donovan Edwards out of the backfield where he never even puts his other hand on the ball. You then got... Uh, J.J. McCarthy comes in and they're like, yeah, hey, we're just going to have you throw one pass today. How about you make it just a perfect dime down the sideline for 31 yards between two defenders? Then they go flea flicker. You know, Haskins tosses back to McNamara. Mike San was still on the other end, 34 yards. McCarthy then runs, you know, to the Ohio State one. We've got a skirmish after that. Uh, and finally, Haskins put, pushes it in. But I, I break that all down to say that Michigan's play calling was was perfect, I think, in this game. You know, they they mixed in just enough wrinkles to keep Ohio State off balance and guessing so that, you know, the running game could be as effective as it was. I mean, it was expected that they were going to do that, but it wasn't totally predictable. No. And, and I think they knew coming in, they were going to have to throw everything at Ohio State. You know, some stuff obviously had already been on tape and, and they, you know, Ohio State probably was were preparing for it. But, you know, final game of the season, all, all the marbles on the line, as Jim Harbaugh likes to say, and you, you've got to you got to do everything, you know, and, and and they did. That first drive was very creative. They were doing a lot of stuff. That that touchdown uh, run by A.J. Henning was was pretty impressive to watch, uh, just the way it was drawn up and all the, 
different disguises and, and different you know things going on. Yeah, again, it goes back to the coaching staff. Josh Gannister is a lot of credit for the game he called, especially there in the first quarter, that first really two or three drives. You can tell they had scripted those, uh, and they were trying to make the most of it, and, and they did. And that's something we have, we didn't really talk about much Saturday after the game, but Michigan was effective in their drives. I mean, they left no stone unturned. They they didn't get in the red zone and stall and settle for field goals. If they got there, they, they scored. And or an the, interception, but mostly yeah, scored. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> aside from the interception, yes. And that should have been, you know, more points. But yeah, I mean, they they were very effective. It wasn't a perfect game, but they did right. enough to win. And I, I think it showed they just they they all they all played the Buckeyes. You know, Ohio State ended up with nine passing plays of, of 15 yards or more. And and that might sound like a lot, but it's really not for them. And, you know, the, the biggest one was, you know, 39 yards and, you know, the biggest one for their two other big receivers, 26 and 25 yards. Like the numbers overall, Smith and Jigba and, and Wilson both go for, you know, double digit catches and, you know, close to 120 yards each. But I thought Michigan's defense did a really good job of keeping things in front of them, even if it made those third and five conversions maybe easier than they normally be for Ohio State. At least they weren't going over the top for for touchdowns. And, you know, th- those guys are going to make catches. They they had Smith and Jigba in particular with some really impressive ones. Olave had the one down the sideline that I can remember plucking it off a defender's helmet, basically. But, you know, in the end, to, to, to limit st- this offense, the as good as it was all year to only 27 points was a major victory. But, you know, I know you guys break it down a little more closely than I do sometimes. What did you see from the D? No, you you hit the nail on the head. I think they came in with the approach of making Ohio State work for everything that they were going to get. Because Jim Harbaugh and the players acknowledged this after the game. that They said that, you know, and Jim told the players this, look, they're going to score but don't get phased by it. And I think the approach was make them work for it. So don't like, don't get burned on a big play. If they're going to score a touchdown, make them waste three, four, five minutes off the clock. Cause as we talked about going into this game, clock management was so huge and limiting Ohio state's possessions was going to be a big key. And they very much did that. I mean, it was the bend don't break defense that we kind of talked about early in the year where yes, Ohio state was able to move the football, but they weren't always able to put it in the end zone. And, and it was shown in the, the handful of field goals they had, they attempted. It was really the perfect, I, I really, the perfect game plan. It was very different from what we had seen in previous years under Don Brown, where Michigan was getting burned left and right on deep balls down the field. They kept the ball in front of them. They made Ohio state work for their points and their offense. And, you know, by the end of it, it was enough. Hey, you guys, guess what? We got some breaking news for the podcast. Michigan just received a commitment in the 2023 class, four-star defensive lineman Joel Starlings from Richmond, Virginia, the number 196 overall recruit in uh, next year's cycle. So uh, he was at the game on on Saturday, and obviously it uh, played a big factor in his decision, and and Michigan now has two commits in the 2023 class. They also got uh, Ann Arbor here on kicker on Thanksgiving, too, so a little bit of a recruit recruiting momentum here for for Michigan after that big win. Two things. First of all, we need some sort of sound effect when you're going to break in with these with these updates. Okay. <laughs> Secondly, you connected it to the Michigan Ohio State game by saying he was there, and and so I'll allow it. But I mean, we're talking 2023 here when Michigan's coming off the biggest win in how many years in this program? But he did make a smooth connection, so I can't 
hate on him for that. But it shows. I mean, it shows what this game means, you know, beyond just the result on the field. But, you know, as far as far as going back to Michigan's offense for a second and, and kind of, again, it all plays together with clock management and things like that. Um, you know, Michigan really only had nine drives on Saturday because two of them came at the the end of each half when they were just taking knees, you know, one time just because they only had six seconds on the clock, the other time because they were running out the clock on, on a victory. They scored six touchdowns. Okay. So we talked about not can't settle for field goals in this game. They didn't, they didn't Jake Moody was only used for his kickoffs and his, and his extra points. So then you had, you had three unsuccessful drives, you know, two punts. And then of course the interception right after they had, you know, gotten to stop and, you know, look to go up, you know, two scores right away. But I mean, that, that was it. That's pretty good success rate. Certainly better than, than Ohio state had. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's why they won the game. Yeah, there was a big reason why they were able to get out in that lead and, and kind of keep it. You know, Ryan mentioned the interception Kate through. I mean, that's they were certainly could have scored on that on that drive as well. They got the lead early. They were able to keep it. And it was very unlike previous games like Penn State or Nebraska, where they kind of, you know, give up the lead and let the, the other team, you know, either get close or, you know, get the lead and Michigan have to come back and, and win it. They got the lead, cruised, and and held serve. It was a pretty remarkable effort from both sides of the ball. They, they came with a game plan. They executed it real, really well. Uh, I'm not going to say perfect, but they, they did enough. And it was, I don't know, man. It, I, if you were to show me the stats at the end of the day without showing me the game script or like the play-by-play or the like, I probably said Ohio State would win this game. But yeah, I don't know. Michigan was a better team on Saturday. It's simple as that. They were better both sides of the ball. If you would have told me I'd be saying that, you know, beginning of the year, I would have told you you were crazy. Game had a little bit of everything, man. Like the, the weather was awesome. The atmosphere was awesome. The the emotions on the field in the tunnel were awesome. I mean, it was just an exciting game to cover. And even the post game with, with the fans running on the field. And it was quite the quite the memorable game for sure. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up because I said in the intro, we're going to talk, you know, what happened during the game and what happened after. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, people know for the most part, but yeah, I mean, the, the fans, you know, rushed the field and uh, celebrated this victory. You saw a moment with Harbaugh and Juwan Howard embracing on the field and such one in the tunnel as well, you know, greeting players as they, they went into the locker room. We have the assistant coaches, you know, up there in the, not in the press box, but, you know, up on, up in that, that part of the stadium indoors, you know, some, some of the assistants, those who aren't on the field and, you know, they usually head down right when the game ends. I don't recall them going early, even when, you know, there've been blowouts and and Michigan has taken a knee or whatever, but they, they clearly wanted to be part of the celebration because as soon as Michigan got the ball back um, on that final, after getting the final stop, they didn't wait to, for the knees. They, they got out of their, their booth and they, they raced behind us in the press box. And I can't repeat what we were hearing, but it was, it was excitement over beating Ohio state. That's for sure. So that was a fun moment to kind of witness and, you know, just, you just know how much they, they pour into this game. Yeah. They were very, very happy (laughs) (laughs) to be kind. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they have a right to be, I mean, they had been working all season for this. We had heard about it. You know, over the summer at Big Ten Media Days where, you know, Jim Harbaugh had his infamous or infamous line, notable line where we were going to beat Ohio State or die trying. It became clear early on that Michigan was taking a new approach to this rivalry, that they were reemphasizing it. They were taking it seriously. And it wasn't just going to be a one week thing where they get to rivalry week with Ohio State and then begin prepping for them. They they spent all season doing it. They, they mentioned the nine on, nine on seven beat Ohio drill. 
it was very similar to, I think it was very similar to what Ohio State had done in previous years. You know, it seemed like nonstop. We heard out of Columbus that, Mich- you know, every day Michigan or Ohio State was thinking about Michigan. And it, it's almost like they flipped the script on them this year. They took it seriously. Um, they began prepping early. They, and it's almost like they shaped their plan for the season of building this defense up and shaping the offense to what they wanted to be simply to, to, to win this game. And ultimately it was successful. It worked. And I can think that's all you can ask for really. Right. Absolutely. So listen, you beat Ohio state the way you did. You're now playing for a big 10 championship. You get a full podcast episode dedicated to it. And and I feel like we've done that, but we're still going to tease what's coming next later this week both on MLive.com and, and in future podcasts. I mean, the ramifications of this game is that Michigan is the Big Ten East champ for the first time since they've had these divisions in 2011. Michigan will play for a chance to be the outright, you know, Big Ten champion uh, against the West representative, Iowa. Uh, they have not played yet this year. Um, haven't played since 2019. The game got you know canceled last year because of COVID. You know, I was a worthy champion over there, but Michigan is a double-digit favorite in this game. For a reason, because I was, I don't even want to say one dimensional, that they're at times zero dimensional on offense. It's just really a struggle for them on that side of the ball. Um, but they want to kind of play like Michigan too, you know, old school, protect the ball and, and clock control and all that. So, you know, we, let's spend a minute or two on that. And then, you know, even beyond that, before we, you know, we wrap up this podcast, just thoughts on Michigan, Iowa matchup. I guess it's a mismatch on paper. I mean, I don't know if it's a stretch necessarily to say that, but you're right. Both teams are going to try and play very similar. I mean, you've got two very good defenses, two teams that lean on their defenses. Both teams like to run the football. I predict you will see a probably low-scoring, hopefully quick game Saturday night in Indianapolis for our six. But, you know, it's a game Michigan is certainly set up to win. They probably will win, should win. If they do win, it will be another... Uh, you know, thing Jim Harbaugh and Michigan can kind of check off the uh, the list. None of that, but he'll be set for a nice bonus. We'll have a story later this week on MLive.com and all the money uh, Jim Harbaugh figures to make in addition to his uh, his pay cut. Yeah, I can't say uh, I was the most exciting opponent in the world. I mean, how many games have they had this year where the, where the total's been under 40 points? But, I mean, it might be a little bit lower scoring than, than we saw on Saturday, but – yeah, I mean, it's still still a big game. It's for a, a Big Ten championship, so we'll see what happens. I'm saying if there's one thing Michigan has shown, that they can win in multitude of ways this year, I and mean, they can win those grinded-out games where it is low-scoring. Look at the Rutgers game, for instance. You know, they obviously took their foot off the gas pedal in the second half, but they can win those grinded-out games if they need to, and they can put up 40 if they have to, as, as we saw Saturday against Ohio State. So there isn't a mismatch for Michigan in terms of, like, you know, st- clashes of styles. Um, I think they, they they match up well to Iowa, and it's a game that they should should be able to win. And, you know, so Michigan, we're, we're saying all this. If Michigan wins that game, they're in the playoffs. So whatever percentage you put on Michigan winning this game against Iowa, that's your percentage that they will make the playoff, which, you know, Ryan was saying before we hit record here, like, that's wild <laughs> from what we were thinking early in the season. And Michigan is now a favorite to make it to the college football playoff. And if they do, they will be in that two or three game. I mean, I think... At worst, could they jump up all the way up to number one and say Georgia loses? Maybe, but it's it's hard to see them lower than third, given you know the other teams in the mix right now. Which means they'll also probably be a favorite to reach the national championship at this point because they're playing. I mean, right now I look at it as maybe Cincinnati, maybe one of the Big Twelve teams. I guess if it's somehow Alabama, that could change things. But this is a very suddenly interesting spot where Michigan is now a favorite to to do some really, really impressive things late in the year. 
Yeah, yeah. Tuesday night's going to be important when when they release the next set of college the college football rankings to kind of get a grasp of where the committee you know thinks of Michigan. They they sure uh, surely will, will be in the top four. I mean, Ohio State was number two this past week, so I suspect they may take the number two spot, maybe number three. But I'm really curious to see where the committee views Michigan. And then it's going to kind of set the uh, the you know the baseline here of of going into next week championship week where there's remember there's only a limited number of games so it's not like every team in the top ten will be playing on set next weekend so it's very much an opportunity for teams to improve their stock and we may see see some teams fall out so it's going to be a fascinating uh, fascinating night Tuesday but yeah you, you nailed it I mean they win Saturday they're in the playoff first time ever and then we'll go from there it's going to be a fascinating next next week or so, you know, assuming they win Saturday, I guess that's a big, big leap to make at this point, but I don't think it's necessarily a, a wrong one either. Yeah. It's wild. You figure you got Georgia's probably in no matter what Michigan's in, if they win Cincinnati in if they win. Um, and then maybe, you know, that big 12 champion between Oklahoma state and Baylor, Notre Dame's not necessarily out of the mix, but that's kind of it. I'm not sure how much farther we're going down the line um, as far as, as far as potential teams. Yeah. Alabama is going to be the, the interesting spot here. What yep. happens in the SEC title game? If it's a close game, if Alabama wins, because I, I think I think Georgia's in no matter what, whether they win or lose. And we're going to see where, where where Alabama fits into that. If they can keep it close, or perhaps pull off the upset, and then yeah, after that, I think you got Michigan, Cincinnati appears to be a, a good chance, a good lock at this point. But yeah, then you've got the Big Twelve lingering right out there. Notre Dame is fascinating. It's it's going to be interesting. Next, uh, yeah, next using that Big 12 as like one team because only one of them is going to get in. That's just uh, one, two, three, four, five. That's six teams, you know, that, that are really in the, in the mix for these, for these four spots. And Michigan is one of them after their 42 to 27 win over Ohio State had lost eight in a row, 15 of the last 16. And, and these numbers that you just keep hearing, Harbaugh's record against Ohio State, it, it, it's, all, it's all out the window now. You want to build on it, but the, the drought is over. For Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wolverine Confidential Podcast. Stay tuned for more coverage on MLive.com slash Wolverines.